And welcome to the Bears Review Show. I am your co-host, Rahul Ramachandran, here with my other co-host, Ricky Bhatt. Ricky, how are you doing on this beautiful Bears Victory Sunday? I'm doing very well. How are you? Doing well, doing well. <clears throat> All right. So we will be here today. We will be recapping the Bears' humongous, although very, very flawed, 33-27 to victory over the Minnesota Vikings, a win that keeps them in the playoff race with Arizona. We'll be scoreboard, scoreboard watching on that one. But uh, let's start. What, what were your biggest takeaways from this game? Because I, I had some good, some bad. But what were your biggest ones from this game that you saw? Um, well, I'll start with the bad, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Chicago's defense was very soft. You know, uh-huh. like um, they they just had very soft coverage. And I think that had to do with uh, two cornerbacks being out. Uh, I think Jalen Johnson was out and Buster Screen was out. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the pass rush was very excellent for um, the Bears. Mm-hmm. But they they just couldn't get many sacks because, um, you know, the secondary was uh, not holding up their coverage. Yeah, but so... I think, yeah. So you said, uh, you said Johnson and Screen were out. Duke Shelley, for a moment there, it looked like he was potentially hurt, which would have been really bad because then we would have had a fourth string DB covering Adam Thielen or whoever whoever it was, uh, the second best receiver on Minnesota. But yeah, the, defensively speaking, that's where my biggest concern is because like, the offense, a few weeks ago, we were saying if the Bears got to, you know, 20, 24 points a game, this was a team that was capable of winning the Super Bowl. And all of a sudden, things have flipped to where it's like the offense, the offense is still very simplistic, but it's working. You're scoring points, right? Like, what was it? They scored 36 last week. They scored 33 today. They scored 30. They scored 30 against Detroit. So they're averaging, like, I think 33 points a game. The offense is rolling. It's just the defense all of a sudden has me a little worried because you can't win when a, a good team will take advantage of the flaws. Minnesota's not a good team. A good team will take advantage of the things that the defense had, uh, their errors, right? Like the big holes that they led, left in the secondary. Danny Trevathan, remember, there was a ball that got batted in the air. Uh, not intercepting that. A good team will drive down the field and, you know, punch it in for a touchdown. Things like that. Um, the fourth down stuff, right? Like yeah. a good team converts on those and keeps the drive going. Irv Smith dropping, dropping a pass. Just all those sorts of things. You got to get those things patched up because – in a couple of weeks from now, Green Bay might not be playing for anything, but the Saints or the Rams or whoever the two seed is will. And you got to get those things patched up because if you want to make a deep playoff run, that's not going to cut it defensively. I agree. Um, so why do you think the secondary has looked so uh, out of sorts? Uh, well, a lot of it has to do with injury. Um, you know, like you said, Johnson and Screen were out. Uh, Duke Shelley... I liked what I saw from him today. I thought he played played a great game. I'm looking at the stat sheet. He had four solo tackles, and he was just flying everywhere on the football field. Um, but it's tough. It, is it the scheme? Because this is mostly the same personnel. I mean, you look at Fuller. You look at uh, uh, who else? Um, Jalen Johnson's obviously new, but he's been playing great. Buster Screen's new. Eddie Jackson's been there. Tashawn Gibson, he's new, but he's also been, you know, he, he hasn't been – as bad as Haha Clinton Dix was last year. Yeah, um, definitely. So, so, like, 
the personnel has mostly been about on par with what was there in the 2018 season, which means that the only, you know, the only possible problem, the only thing that's changed is the defensive coordinator, and that's Chuck Pagano. And I just don't know if his scheme is the problem. He's not necessarily adjusting to his players. Uh, what do you think on that? Like, what do you think the problem is there? Is it that, is it Chuck Pagano not adjusting or is it the personnel, just the effort sort of things? I think it's definitely like the scheme because mm-hmm. Pagano, it's, um, it's not like a Fangio scheme. A Fangio scheme is more aggressive. Mm-hmm. That's why they, um, the Bears led the league in takeaways that one season mm-hmm. and had so many sacks. Um, but, you know, Pagano is just not aggressive enough. He's just too conservative, like on second and 19, um, that one play, um, they just gave up a big pass to Alexander Madison, yeah, yeah. which uh, set the the Vikings up with third and manageable. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the Vikings got lucky. They got bailed out um, by the refs on that play, but mm-hmm. you just can't have that happen. Yeah. And then the other aspect is, because I think it's part of the equation, but then the other part is the tackling. And this has been like, this has been a recurring fr- problem for the Bears. We didn't see the, we saw it a little bit in 2018. But over the past two seasons, it's been like, guys, the secondary is just missing tackles. Like, it's just terrible effort. You saw, uh, what's his name? I don't even know the guy's name. Tom Conklin? Tyler Conklin, yeah. I think it is. He, he catches the ball in the flat, breaks through three soft tackles for a 30-yard gain, and now in two and a half minutes, Minnesota scores a touchdown. Like, the, those kinds of things can't happen. Chuck Pagano doesn't control that. He doesn't control effort and tackling and that sort of a thing. So, like, I... Just how do you fix that sort of a thing? I, I, I honestly don't know how, where you go for that aspect. You, you got any thoughts on that? Um, well, I think that Eddie Jackson has really regressed. I mean, 2018 was really his only good year. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2019, he even took a step back and was missing a lot of tackles. Um, I think that could be due to uh, maybe coaching. Maybe the coaching has um, a bit of an effect on... Uh, you know, the mentality of the players. So I think that, uh, you know, the coaching has definitely affected the players as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he used to be that ball hawk in 2018. I think he had, what, three out of four games, he had a game-changing takeaway. Yeah, he had uh, like two consecutive games with the pick six. Yeah, yeah, like that stuff doesn't happen. He had that. And this year, like, it happened early in the season. He got taken away. But, I mean, you still got to be out there making those effort plays. Uh, and we just haven't seen that from him. He's regressed massively. Kyle Fuller, uh, Kyle Fuller, I mean, he, he he's not, I don't see him as that sort of top-tier Jalen Ramsey, Stephon Gilmore level corner. He's like, he's, he's very, very good. I can't put him in that category, though, because too often I see him either because of the, the call itself or just poor technique. I see him just, you know, five, six yards away from a receiver, and now he's giving up seven or eight yards after the catch. Like, the, those things can't happen. Those things, that they plagued this defense over the past couple of weeks now. And it's starting to get really, really frustrating as a Bears fan because that was something that you hang your hat on, right? It's like, okay, the offense may not be great, but when you're up to 23 to 16, you know, against Carolina – the defense will get a takeaway to seal the game. Like, that sort of a thing you could hang your hat on. You can't do that anymore with this team. Like, what were you thinking when Mitch Trubisky threw that interception, that terrible interception that we'll get to later? He threw that interception, 
Vikings get the ball to run 20. They're down three, and they have, I think, two and a half minutes to go. What were you thinking there? I was thinking, like, this is the same mold, uh, like, same mold as a Bears fan. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they always make it so much closer than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I don't touch, I don't trust uh, Mitchell Trubisky to make a play. Yeah. Like, he's been held, like, the the coaching has really held hands with Mitchell Trubisky. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've called a lot of training wheels plays, like play action, one mm-hmm. read. And um, when he had to make a play, he didn't make it. Um, he just forced it into, like, triple coverage when he didn't need to. He could have just, you know, took a sack and made made the field goal. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I was really um, not right, surprised. But, like, but defensively, like, did you believe in the Bears defense that they were going to hold Minnesota out of the end zone, or at the very least, hold them out of field goal range? Which I was Dan not Bailey, convinced. I guess, right. Yeah, I was not convinced because mm-hmm. they haven't sh- they haven't shown that ability uh, throughout that game. So mm-hmm. uh, I was um, I was kind of scared. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It felt like it felt a lot like that yeah, Detroit that game. Score. That Detroit game, where I think it was the exact same score. It was thirty to twenty with like four minutes yeah, left and Detroit walks down the field 96 yards in just like just two minutes 96 yards in two minutes they, they just rolled up on that defense then in a touchdown obviously Trubisky fumbles so you can't really fault the defense for that but at the same time you got to slow them up just a little and even on that Hail Mary if Eddie Jackson doesn't bat that ball the Bears lose like if Eddie Jackson isn't in that position because you had two guys right there for Minnesota, right? It, the ball drops into their hands if Eddie ja- if Eddie Jackson doesn't make that play. So I was, I was actually these... nervous that, like, since it's, it felt like the ball was in the air forever, mm-hmm. so right. I was scared that the batting was actually not going to help. Right. Yeah. I mean, and and the Bears defense, they got to figure things out. Whatever the Bears offense did to turn this thing around. The Bears defense had to, has to, they gotta, they gotta figure some stuff out because this is not gonna cut it against Aaron Rodgers or against Sean McVay's Rams who are right now looking really, really bad. But, or against the Saints with Drew Brees this time and Michael Thomas this time will be healthy. So, I don't, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, think the D- Bears offense will even be enough because like they, their scheme is like the Tennessee Titans um, like the Rams, the Browns, and the 49ers, like they don't have elite QBs, but they just execute a lot of play action, uh, one reads, and yeah. that makes their non-elite QB look good. But yeah. against actual elite competition, they're not gonna <clears throat> beat those good teams. Yeah, it's a lot of like it's a lot of it's a two-play offense, uh, three-play offense. It's a three-play offense. You got hand the ball off to David Montgomery out of the I formation. You got play action, roll right, and hit Komet or Jimmy Graham or Mooney or, you know, whoever is coming down on the flat. And then you got play action and look for Allen Robinson wherever he is. Like, those are the three things the Bears do. And a half-decent team will shut those things down. And now where do you go? Because I don't trust Mitch Trubisky. When he's in the shotgun and you ask him to scan the field and make a play, he missed – there are three three plays I remember – uh, two of them were third downs. They were drive toes. He had Robinson wide open on one. He had Wims that he missed. And obviously the interception, which was terrible. 
like those sorts of things you have to have something that you can fall back on that even when those things get taken away even when these gimmicky tricks sort of uh plays get taken away you got to have something else that you can hang your hat on and it works and it, you know it'll work against every single defense in the league and the bears don't have that they're sort of relying on okay you know we can get you with this gadget play here and we can go play action and try this one here and then let's do a jet sweep here and that thing does that stuff doesn't work against playoff teams so i just don't I, the offense yes it's clicking right now but i don't see how you sustain it over the next two possibly even three four games i just don't see it same um i'll i'll just talk about the offense so what i noticed um i actually have some statistics here um until the Texans game, um, Mitch has gone under shotgun, or not under shotgun, but like um, they, they've gone shotgun with Mitch 57% of the time. With the Foles, it was 76% of the time. Um, on passing plays, um, they've done passing plays with Mitch 60% of the time, and with Foles, they've done it 71% of the time. And um, that gave, I mean, that gives a lot of balance to the um, Bears offense. Mm-hmm. They they ran the ball a lot better. One forty eight point nine yards per game with Mitch and fifty two point seven with Nick Foles. Um, mm-hmm. But also you have to take into account Mitch has free, like faced way worse competition. Mm-hmm. Um, out of DVOA, um, Lions are thirty first, Giants are seventeenth, Falcons are fourteenth, Packers twentieth, Texans are thirtieth. And Foles has played a lot better defenses. Colts are sixth, Bucks are fifth, Panthers twenty seventh, Rams third, Saints second, Vikings twelfth, Titans twenty sixth. So, I don't think that um, the Bears' offense can keep this up against the better teams. I just don't see it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they have a even even then they have a, I feel like they have a better chance of doing it with Mitch, just because the offensive line. Maybe it's that, you know, they've shifted some things around and they've kind of figured something out along those along the offensive line. Or maybe it's that once Mitch Trubisky came in, sort of his mobility offers you, it, it gives you a lot more of a range of things you can do because of his legs that the offensive line, now they don't have as much pressure on them to stand in the pocket for three, four seconds for Nick Foles. And then, you know, just hope that he can find an open receiver by then you they they have that fallback option of okay we can't hold up for that long but even if we can only hold up for two two and a half seconds this guy can roll to his right and make a play that sort of a thing what are your thoughts on that do you think that mitch really has helped the offensive line or do you think that it's been sam mustafer who's actually been really really good under center and alex bars who's looked good as well over these past couple games what are your thoughts on that I think it's a bit of both. Uh, I mean, Mitch obviously takes pressure off the offensive line with his mobility. Mm, you know, with Foles, they won shotgun 76% of the time. And when you're doing that, you expect the offensive line to be a lot better. Like in Philly, he had all day to throw. So that's why he looked good. Um, he was the Super Bowl MVP on, and all that. But like, we, we just don't have that personnel. Like Sam Mustafer, Alex Vars, Jermaine Ifedi, like, you just can't count on those guys to hold up so that Foles can find the open receiver. But with mm-hmm. Mitch, you see a lot more play action, and um, that gives a lot of um, 
you know, more potential to this Bears offense. And also, like, the run game has been working a lot better with Mitch than it has with uh, Nick Foles. And, like, why is that? Why is that? I'm really not sure why that is. Um, well, actually, I'm not too sure, but mm-hmm. I think that they just find they just found the right um, combination on the offensive line. I think that uh, they like they've well, actually, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and you look at it. Maybe it's just that they're committing more to it. Like against the Texans, Montgomery, he had that big eight-yard run. After that, he didn't really do very much. I think he had thirty yards on about ten carries. This yeah, game, I mean, you look at the balance, 21 passes to 42 rush attempts. So they ran 66% of the time in this game, and they were very efficient in doing it. 4.7 yards per carry, uh, you know, 142 yards total for David Montgomery. He was great. He had that run of 19 yards, uh, two touchdowns also. So he, he was phenomenal. And I think you really got to see how good he is because I had doubts about him in terms of, can he really find holes? Is it that the offensive line can't create holes? Or is it that he doesn't have the burst to get through the hole and then make a play? He's showing you that he has that, that burst in, in him. He has that burst in him to make a play. And then he can also put his head down, lower his shoulder, and get another five, six yards after contact. And that's huge for an offense that struggles to just get every, every blade of grass is necessary for this team. And David Montgomery is giving you that. Yeah, um... I think that I never had any doubts about David Montgomery um, mm-hmm. because he, he's he been stuck behind the really atrocious offensive line for the mm-hmm. last two years. With uh, Jordan Howard, you saw that the offensive line was a lot better. Kyle Long, uh, Josh Sitton was a pro bowler, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and Charles Leno Jr. has really regressed from 2018 mm-hmm. when he was a pro bowler. So um, I think that David Montgomery has the speed to get through those holes. We saw it in Iowa State. And um, he's he's had to break a lot of tackles because of the bad offensive line. I think they showed um, they showed the graphic that David Montgomery has broken the second most tackles in the league behind Dalvin mm-hmm. Cook. Right. That's because of the terrible offensive line. <clears throat> like he has to break so many tackles to get just two yards yeah, past yeah. the line of scrimmage. It's very, it's, it's like Saquon. You watch Saquon. He'll give you the one or two yard things because he he doesn't have any holes to run through. But when they give him a good block, it's a 70 yard touchdown. And David Montgomery, over these past couple of games against the Packers, he popped one for I think 60. Against uh, against the Lions, he had a big one. Against uh, against the Saints, he had a 40 yard one. Last week, an 80 yard touchdown. He's showing you that if you give him time, he can make a play. And that's what I. It's crucial to see that because he's an integral part of the Bears' future. He's the, he's going to be the Bears' bell cow for the next seven, eight years. And it's just relieving to see that this guy can be everything you need him to be at the running back position. Now, they still need Tariq Cohn, because I think Tariq Cohn's injury, when he gets back, hopefully he's the same explosiveness. I think he he complements David Montgomery really well. And that it's like how he worked with Jordan Howard. They would use Jordan Howard as sort of that power running back. And then when you need a burst of 25, a 25-yard rush, or a screen pass and then take it 40 yards, Tariq Cohen would give you that. So I think Tariq Cohen with David Montgomery, I think it's going to be an excellent pairing in the years to come. Yeah, definitely. All right, so now let's move on to, let's talk more about Mitch Trubisky. 
and exactly what we saw from him today. What were your thoughts on Mr. Bisky? How did you think he played overall? Because I know you, you said uh, the, uh, the coaching staff had to handhold him, and that's very true. But even then, he still has to make the throws. He still has to complete the passes. And I thought he did a really good job with that. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, it's kind of easy when, like, it's just one read. But when you ask him to see the entire field, he's never shown that he can actually make the reads. Like, as we saw, he missed a wide-open Darnell Mooney um, with, like, 124 left in the first quarter on third and three. And um, that just shows that he can't read the entire field. And I'm happy the offense is more productive, but it'll take a lot more for Mitch to win me over. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. like, he's not yeah, been playing the best of competition. So. Mm-hmm. Like you look at, I don't know exactly where these teams' rankings are, but obviously Foles had a lot tougher defenses in uh, – who do you play? He played the Saints. Um, I'm trying to think. Let's see. The Rams, who have a really, really good defense. Rams, by the way, just lost to the New York Jets. Uh they did? That, uh, yeah, they did, 23 to 20. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, so he, he struggled against those kinds of defenses, but against Carolina, he was great. Minnesota, not so much. That's the other thing. Like, you look at Nick Foles' Vikings game, the Bears scored six points on offense. They got seven from Cordero Patterson. Uh, this, year, this week, 33 points offensively, and David Montgomery had another huge game. Yeah, did you know well. that... The the Bears under Mitch have scored twenty eight points a game on offense. Really? But if you look, yeah. Like, but is if that you, throughout the season or just in these past four games? No, throughout the season, even in his yeah. first two starts. Mm-hmm. And um, if you don't count the Eddie Jackson fumble return versus the LA Rams, and if you don't count that Cordero Patterson touchdown, then the Bears under Nick Foles are score have scored fourteen point seven points per, per game. So, wow, wow, yeah, huge difference there. Foles, it, it feels like even Foles fits Nagy's scheme, but he doesn't, Nagy's scheme doesn't fit the personnel. So, I think that has a lot to do with it. But, yeah, uh, exactly. That's yeah. why it was such a mess with uh, yeah. Foles. But uh, back to Mitch, we saw a lot of those, I was talking about it earlier, we saw a lot of those sort of simplified just play calls where it's play action. Let's roll him right, just like the Rams do with Jared Goff. Let's have him hit the tight end or hit Mooney or hit a playmaker and have him run for eight yards. And let's get let's just move the ball down the field in these little chunks. And it actually works. It's been working over these past three games. They're scoring a ton of points with it. Yeah. It's just um, that I, Yeah, go ahead. It's just that. And the other thing I saw today, when the Vikings took that option away. Mitch didn't use his legs as much. And I know, like, obviously, he had a couple runs where it's like, okay, the pressure is coming on him. He, he just has to escape, scramble, and make a play with his legs. He was able to do that. But in terms of, okay, I'm rolling out to my right. They took away Darnell Mooney in the flat. He didn't really look to run and make a play. And that's something I, I think he needs to start doing a little more because you got to make the opposition commit an extra defender to you to where now you're playing 10 on 10 instead of 10 on 11. That's yeah, something I think, I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more from him. I think he hasn't been running as much because of that shoulder injury two years ago. He's never looked quite the same. He's never rushed quite the same as before that shoulder injury. So I think that has a part in it. Mm-hmm. I think um, like you see a lot of 
run pass options over the past two weeks, like like uh, last game um, on that Darnell Mooney touchdown. That was an easy read. Mm-hmm. There was a nice block by Anthony Miller, nice block by Allen Robinson. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was an easy touchdown for Darnell Mooney. But um, like if you ask him to make these these uh, huge plays and read the field, then he can't do that. Yeah. Now, now he did have some good throws, right? Most notably, he had a throw, I believe it was in the first quarter on, I think it was the Bears touchdown drive, the opening drive, that second drive touchdown, where he threw the deep ball to Allen Robinson. Great throw, great catch. The Bears need to start, I feel like they still need to start utilizing Allen Robinson a little more in that aspect because he's six foot six. Like most defensive backs are six feet tall. He's six inches taller, no, wait, taller than them. He's six foot three. Oh, he is six foot three. Well, either way, he's still great at jump balls to where it's like, you got you to gotta give him a little more opportunities. Just give him a chance and he's going to make a play for you. I saw a lot in the Houston game. That's what I really liked about that game. Oh, yeah. Where three or four times you saw them just give, give him a chance at a jump ball. And he was making a play every single time. I still want to see a little bit more of that sort of aspect integrated into the Bears offense. I think you have seen a lot of that actually, because mm-hmm. when they had single high safety, then it was just man man to man on Allen Robinson mm-hmm. and the cornerbacks like three feet or not three feet, three inches shorter. So mm-hmm. Allen Robinson could just get those balls. Mm-hmm. And he also did a nice job of, of uh, looking off the defender on the Allen Robinson touchdown last week against mm-hmm. the Texans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think they have uh, gone to Allen Robinson and exploited the matches, matchups really well. Mm-hmm. Now, Mr. Biscay, I think it's clear that the Bears, they're probably going to decline. They should decline his... They've already declined the option, but they shouldn't extend him. They should let him be a free agent. What do you think the future holds for him in terms of maybe he's not back with the Bears, but he'll be somewhere in the NFL doing something. He's not, he's not you know, Ryan Leaf to where... It's just, you know, one of the worst things you've ever seen. He's still going to be somewhere. But what do you think the future holds for Mitch Trubisky? You think he can potentially be a starter somewhere else? You think he can do what Marcus Mariota did a couple of days ago? Come in and, you know, be a solid backup for a team? Like, what do you see with Mitch Trubisky in the future? I see him holding a clipboard in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, like being a second and or third string QB. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, what we've seen from him until now, it's not entirely his fault. I mean, like when he was drafted, he was thought to be a project quarterback and he needed Mm -hmm. to be developed. Um, But the problem was that he had the wrong coaching, you know, John Fox with his run, run, pass offense. And then as a mentor, and then obviously, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And then the next year, the bears got confused and what they wanted to do, I think pace, got confused because he traded for Khalil Mack and that meant like win now, but mm-hmm. Trubisky was still supposed to develop. And I don't think you can just plug him in to be that win now type of quarterback. So mm-hmm. I don't know if he'll ever get the coaching um, that's necessary to, for him to develop in that mm-hmm. way. I think, I think he has a lot of, he has a lot of aspects that I really like about him in terms of his mobility and his, ability to make plays off script. He's not going to be Patrick Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson in terms of obviously not talent level ever, but like how they play. They also have the added aspect of they can make plays from the pocket. They can stand in there 
they can, you know, see the blitz coming at them, all four guys, and they can deliver a great throw on the money for a 25-yard completion. Mitch doesn't have that, but he still has some things that I like about him to where I'd say his range is probably, I'd say, best case, he's Alex Smith, right? Like average starter, guy you can, you know, win eight, nine, maybe even 10 if lightning strikes in a bottle. Maybe, maybe even 10 games. He's somewhere from that level. Obviously, that would be one extreme. And then the other extreme would be maybe a second string quarterback to where if you need it, he can win a game for you. He can win a game or two for you. But he's not going to be like a full-time – he won't be a full-time starter anymore officially. I think it's safe to say that. Do you agree? I agree. And I think that Alex Smith is even too extreme because mm-hmm. Alex Smith in the same offense, Matt Nagy's offense in 2017, had like an MVP caliber season. And mm-hmm. Mitch in the same offense, he made a lot of bad decisions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I don't think you're ever going to see that. Right. But then like you also have to – the weapons, right? Alex Smith, he – did he have Watkins? He didn't have Watkins then, right? I don't think. No, he didn't have Watkins. He didn't – he obviously didn't have Hardman. He still had Tyreek. Um, he had Kelsey. Um, he he had a he had. Um, I'm blanking on the running back's name. Uh, he had a good running back. I know. What was his name? Kareem I'm forgetting Hunt. his name. But he had a good he had a good running back. Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt. Yeah, <laughs> I'll never get that name. Yeah, he had Kareem Hunt. Um, so he he had a couple things where you know you can work with that. He had a couple defensive uh, superstars on the opposite side to where if he made a mistake they could bail him out. Right. You look at Eric Berry. Uh, the linebacker that I'm also think, forgetting his name. Yeah, I think but, Eric Berry was kind of declining by then, though. Mm-hmm, right, but I mean, he still he still had that sort of the IQ to where he could still be a very very good player, even if he wasn't, you know, what he was back in 2015. And then he also had Andy Reid. So Andy Reid. I mean, if you give Andy Reid, Mitch, Mitch Trubisky, Andy Reid. If you give Mitch Trubisky, Andy Reid. Andy Reid will do something to figure out how he can make this guy look like a top 10 quarterback, right? So yeah. and Andy Reid, like he's just that level of a coaching of... mind, right? Not not the pretend version of, you know, Patrick Mahomes or something else. Um, but yeah, Andy Reid's just that caliber of mind uh, to where he can do that. Matt Nagy is not. Now, Matt Nagy, I still think Matt Nagy can be a servant. He can, I, I still think Matt Nagy can be a good head coach. It's just the inflexibility of his offense. Like his offense, he, he's not willing to adjust his offense. And I think that really did him in with this Bears regime because you look at 2019, he had a certain offense that he wanted to run. It did not fit any of the players that he had. And so he was just trying to just force them into it, just force them, force them, force them. And the offense looked terrible. This year, until as a very, very recent, right, he tried to do the same thing, even with Nick Foles. Nick Foles came in, it looked even worse. And so... But there are a lot of aspects that I like about him in terms of like the locker room celebrations. You could tell that the team really kind of, the team is together. You could really tell that. And they really, really want to win. And he has that sort of good communicator aspect that I like. It's just the inflexibility and his stubbornness of not being willing to change the scheme. It's like we're either going to win with this or we're not going to win at all. And I don't like that about him. I think he needs to become a little bit more flexible. But I, how do you think he achieves that? Like, does he go back somewhere? Does he go back to Andy Reid? Like, how do you think he gets 
to the point where he realizes, okay, I can still be a head coach in this league, but I got to be a little bit more flexible with my things. You get him a better quarterback. Get him a better quarterback? Like, what level? Because if he anybody can look good with Patrick Mahomes. I could be the head coach in Patrick Mahomes, and I, Patrick Mahomes would make me look like a great head coach. He would make me look like Bill Belichick. But let's say you have – you don't have to have Mitch Trubisky, but let's say you have – back to Alex Smith. Let's say you have Alex Smith. Like, or maybe not Alex Smith because Matt Nagy did have Alex Smith. Yeah. Maybe not as a head coach, but he had him as an offensive coordinator. Or who's another average quarterback? Kirk Cousins. Like, how do you think Kirk Cousins would do with Matt Nagy? How do you think he would look? That's an interesting um, question. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, In terms of like, that's a really, like, that's like really you think a he would be, because... you think he would be, you know, top ten quarterback. You think he would fringe top ten, of course. You think he would be maybe just league average. You think he would be below average. How do you think he would look? Well, uh, that's kind of a tough question to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, like with Alex Smith, you saw he's an average quarterback, but he looked like an MVP under Matt Nagy mm-hmm. or Andy Reid. Yeah. But um, I don't think Matt Nagy by himself without Andy Reid can really make make that QB um, like Kirk Cousins ascend to that level. We just mm-hmm. haven't seen it. So you think he needs, he needs somebody – else to where somebody he works with well he works well with to where he can maybe make the quarterback a little bit better version of himself that sort of thing maybe like maybe get him to philadelphia and work under doug peterson Mm -hmm. and doug peterson also runs the kansas city chiefs offense basically Mm -hmm. so if you if you get him a like under a stabilizing force at head coach then i would say then the then the quarterback could look a lot better so you think he peaks as like an offensive coordinator? Do you think he's do you think he's a, cali- a high caliber head coach in this league or no? Um, well, what's the record of the Bears with Matt Nagy? Um, see. they went twelve it, and four. It's a little um, bit skewed because of that twelve and four season, but uh, let's see what it is. Obviously, the, the past two years, eight and eight, and now seven and seven, pending Jacksonville and Green Bay arresting their starters. But let's see. Yeah, so you pull that up while you're pulling, pulling that up. I see Matt Nagy. I still think he can be a very, very good head coach in seven or eight years. I don't see it right now. <laughs> like, I don't see it right now. I, st- I, st- I think he'll find success in, you know, I don't know who, who could be looking for a coach. Kansas City, maybe. Uh, New England. I'm just thinking of all the old coaches. Um, Houston's going to find a coach this year, so they wouldn't really count. Uh, Maybe Seattle. Seattle, right. Like, I think he would look great in those organizations maybe eight years down the line. Just not in Chicago in 2020. It's just not a good fit with him and this uh, this group of players. It's just not a very good fit. But what are your thoughts on what Bill Lazor has done over these past three games? Like, Because uh, he's the play caller. And something has changed over these past three games. First of all, in terms of the things that have changed, uh, we've talked about Cole Komet. I think his involvement is huge. But what have you seen from Bill Lazor? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Bill Lazor and what he's done over these past couple weeks. I think uh, I see heavier personnel. Mm -hmm. They've really, um, you know, brought more offensive linemen in. They've uh, operated under center. 
and they have more movement throws. They've just simplified the offense basically. The offense, the offense is on training wheels. Um, so I think that plays a part into it. They've also gone more to the rushing game. Um, and that also has to do with the, I guess, the increased um, camaraderie between the offensive linemen, like uh, Jermaine and Fetty has really stepped up in run blocking. Mm-hmm. And, and Sam Mustafer and uh, Alex Bars have really sparked this offensive line. Mm-hmm. And David Montgomery is also very physical. Sla- like uh, He can slash, make cutbacks. He also opens up the play-action game. So we have all these options now that we didn't have uh, with Matt Nagy as the offensive play caller. Right. And the thing I really like, it's not just the creativity. It's the variety. Like Matt Nagy, his problem was he wasn't creative. He had a lot of variety, but it was all over the place, and it wasn't anything creative. It was just toss to Cordero Patterson to the left. Right? Like, let's have Nick Foles drop back in the pocket and look for you know a guy crossing over the middle. It wasn't creative. And it, it had a lot of variety, but not very creative. The thing about Laser, he has the creativity and the variety. Like, I thought on, what was it, the second drive, I thought they had a great... Um, you know, balance of like, okay, now we're going to run out of shotgun here, but now we're going to run out of the eye formation. Now we're going to go play action and hit the tight end on a, on a, you know, in the flat. Now we're going to go play action and hit Allen Robinson coming across the field. Now we're going to play action and Mitch is going to run for six yards. Like I thought he had a lot of great um, sort of variety in his play calling. And it, it just all, it was, it was well balanced too. And it fit the Bears sort of their identity of running the football and going play action. And the Bears, they're built to be a very run-heavy team in terms of the guys that they have. Like, you will get Cole Komet, great blocking tight end. Jimmy Graham, great blocking tight end. They, and catching tight end. Yeah, and catching tight end, too. Red zone, especially. He's committed to that, and he's not straying away from it because it's working. And I really like that about him. Obviously, in those first couple games, he took over against Minnesota. Those first two games, Minnesota and Green Bay, Minnesota, he had foals. So, I mean, what can you really do there? Green Bay, <laughs> Green Bay. the problem with the Green Bay game is they fell behind, like, what was the score? 28-3, to three, halfway through the second quarter. They fell behind so fast to where, to where you can't run the ball and you can't go play action. And so, yeah, they kind of you got to stray away from your entire identity in that game. And the Bears aren't built to win. In exactly. any other way, the only way the Bears are built to win football games is playing from the lead. Because if you don't exactly. have the lead, then you can't do any of the things that the Bears do. So it's like, at some point, you're going to be trailing. It's just, what do you do there? And that's where I think we'll really set, start to see maybe like what Bill Lazor is really made of. And that's yeah. the thing I'm really excited about, too. Yeah, that's why I said this offense reminds me more of the Titans, Rams, 49ers, and Browns. Because they're not running an offense with that high of a ceiling. They're running more of a running and play-action offense. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's a good offense to get the most out of a non-elite QB. But big picture for the Bears, like the offense works with the lead. But mm-hmm. you're not going to see them come back from double digits um, because you need an like elite QB to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the, I think they recognize that because they, took the, they won the toss. And they took the ball to start. And I think they recognize that like the only way we can win these games is to score first and then just allow it. Because the other aspect is when you score first and you get the lead, 
you allow your defense to just go all out pursuit on the passing game. And Minnesota, because Minnesota is more of a run heavy team, even when the Bears were up by 13 points, uh, you know, close towards the end of the second quarter, they were still running the football. But against most teams, when you go up 13 points, now they're just drop back passing all the time. And now your pass rushers can really just commit to selling out and getting at the quarterback. And that's what I think that's that had to that had a lot to do with why the Bears pass rush was so good today. Because Robert Quinn doesn't have to worry about, you know, a draw play. He doesn't have to worry about the, uh, you know, a toss to the left or, um, you know, a screen pass. He doesn't have to worry about those things. He can just say, okay, we're up 13. Kirk Cousins, or, you know, really not in this game, but the quarterback is going to drop back. I'm going to get him. And by the way, Robert Quinn, he played really well today for the first time since like week two. So, uh, oh yeah, I think um, Robert Quinn had an injury. Actually, he was like he could barely, um, like he had something like really wrong with his legs. So I think that also affected his production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, Robert Quinn was looking like a disaster. I mean, you pay the guy five years, seventy million dollars, money that could have gone to an offensive lineman, money that could have gone to maybe a better quarterback. You paid the guy that much money. And he plays, he gets a strip sack on the first play of the game against the Giants. And then from week three through week 14 does absolutely nothing for you. Week 15, he showed up today. He was big time today. Um, Khalil Mack too, he had that, that half sack. Brent Urban, who has, Brent Urban has been sneaky good for the Bears. Like whenever the Bears need a big play against, you know, Tampa, against Carolina, against even Minnesota, even the first time in this game, obviously. Brent Urban, he's there, like on that fourth and one. If Brent Urban isn't chasing Kirk Cousins, you know, down at full speed, who knows what happens there? Yeah. So he's and been I, I just checked. Um, I just checked. Um, like Robert Quinn had a really bad nerve condition on his foot. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's called a drop foot. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, you look at it, Brent Urban, the Bears. I'm just now realizing this. The Bears' defensive line depth is actually, like, really, really good. Mario Bilal Nichols, it's not just Khalil Mack. It's Mario Edwards, who's been – he had two sacks last week. He's been really, really good. Uh, oh, yeah, Bilal but Nichols, he also um, – I think he also got suspended by the team or something. Oh, he got yeah. involved in some, yeah. Um, like, yeah, illegal yeah. activity or something. Yeah, but, I mean – when he was playing, when he was on the field, he was really, really good. Ball Nichols, John Jenkins, he had the, that uh, big fourth and one stuff. He was big time. Um, you look and at yeah, this uh, is, obviously Brent This Irvin. is all without Eddie Goldman, too. Right, yeah. This is all without Eddie Goldman, their biggest run stuffer, um, alongside Akeem Hicks. So the defense, the defensive line played great today. The back end, you got to figure out something for that back end because – you're not going to go very far in the playoffs with this. All right, let's move on to let's talk about let's talk about playoffs. Does yeah. it feel good to say that the Bears playoffs? When was the last time we were talking about this week? When was the last time they were in the playoffs? Like playoff picture? Was um, that week seven against the Rams? Week eight? Well, against they've always the been in the hunt, technically. Right, but I mean, like actually in the playoffs. Oh, like yeah. I think um, it's been... before the Rams game, they were the number one seed, actually. Right. So it's been like, what is that? 
that's week seven, I think. So it's been like seven, eight, nearly two months since we've been able to talk about the Bears and the playoffs. But the Bears right now, so they are seven and seven. Vikings six and eight. They got the Saints coming up. Vikings, for all intents and purposes, are 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 done. Um, let's see here. Arizona. Arizona is currently playing. They're up by seven on Philadelphia. There's a minute thirty-five left, so that's a close one. Well, actually, I mean, it it looks like the Eagles are going to lose. Eagles are going to lose. Okay, so so Cardinals. Right. So Cardinals will move to eight and six, I believe. Yeah. Right. Eight and six. Okay. They have the Niners and the Rams, I believe, in their next two games. Niners, even though Rams will obviously be a difficult one. Niners, even though you know they're not talented, terrible quarterback play. It's still a divisional game. Those teams know each other very well. So that should be close. Um, and then the Rams, who just lost to the Jets. Right. The Rams, but, who just lost to the yeah. Jets. Uh, but they have the tiebreaker. I thought they would be the like... Yeah, I, I thought they were the, the best team in the seed. NFC. The Rams, same. I mean, you look at them. They're the most complete. I think they match up very well with the Saints uh, and the Packers as well. But uh, back to the Bears. So the Cardinals are now 8-6. and six. Bears have the tiebreaker over the Cardinals by virtue of the conference record. So yeah, I see um I see three scenarios here. Uh-huh. So we need we need to either win out and mm-hmm. need the uh, Cardinals to lose one game. Mm-hmm. And um we could win out because the Packers might clinch the one seed and rest their mm-hmm. starters. Um the second scenario is go one and one over our next two games. Mm-hmm. We need Cardinals to lose their next two games in that case, and we need the Vikings to lose one other one out of their last two. Mm-hmm. And the third scenario is we just go, um, we just don't win a game from here on out, uh, and we and we, we would need the Cardinals, we would need the Cardinals to lose three games in that scenario, and we would need the Vikings to lose their last two. Right. All right. So, uh, you look at it. Did Philadelphia just convert a fourth and eight? Yeah. I'm looking they're at it. Okay, the, so they still they still got a shot. On a 31 right now. Yeah. Okay, so they still got a shot. Um, so you look at it, and you talked about the Packers clinching the one seed. So I texted you a couple of days ago. I texted you that for the Packers to clinch the one seed, Washington would have to beat Seattle because that means that the winner of next week's Seahawks Rams game would take over the division. Essentially, they would have that. The, the division wrapped up and if there's a three-way tie between Packers Seahawks slash Rams and Saints the Saints get the one seed by virtue of conference record which means that the Packers wouldn't be able to rest their starters I said all that assuming that the Rams would beat the Jets so with the Rams losing to the Jets now if the Rams can beat the Seahawks next weekend which obviously that'll be a tough game divisional game but they did it once already so Hopefully they can do it again. If the Rams can beat the Seahawks next weekend, that would, for all intents and purposes, that would basically seal, if all things hold, and obviously the Saints are down by, what is it, seven to the Chiefs. If the Chiefs beat the Saints, which they should, and the Packers win next weekend, they play Tennessee, that could be a tough game. Um, But if all those things happen, there's a really, really good chance the Packers are resting their starters week 17. And obviously, the Bears, what percent chance do you give them of being the Packers fully healthy? 20? Fully healthy? Yeah, fully um, healthy, everybody playing for the Packers. 
I would give it a 10% shot. Yeah, I'd give it a 15. I'd give it a 15. It's not really going to happen. So obviously, the, the Bears need the Packers to rest their starters unless Arizona drops uh, their next two. And who knows? You know, this team, Arizona, obviously, they're very up and down. They're very streaky. Yeah, so that is more than, it's more than possible. So, uh, but yeah, that's all we have for you today on the Bears Review Show. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed today's victory Sunday with the Bears winning 33-27 to over the Minnesota Vikings, moving to 7-7-7 seven, seven and, seven and keeping their playoff hopes alive, at least for a week longer. Um, next week, we will be recapping the Bears, hopefully a win, should be a win. If it's not a win, that's a problem, <laughs> over yeah. the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, and we will be discussing that. Hopefully the Cardinals lose. Hopefully, you know, all those things happen to where the Packers get the one seed. And uh, hopefully we're talking about the Bears and Steve Kornacki on Sunday Night Football predicting the Bears to be the seventh seed. So hopefully all those things break true. But, uh, yeah, thank you for, uh, for listening to us. Leave your comments, your thoughts on the Bears uh, below in the comment section on whatever uh, podcast you are listening to. And uh, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.